Okay, let's uh, come to order. And today, a real, a, a real treat of the mind and the, and the eye, unusually for us, because Robert Lawrence, whom many people know, um, uh, and many people know that he, he is a great photojournalist, spent much of his life on newspapers, but he's also done a number of studies, and his latest one is on Cuba. He's been there twice. Uh, and plans to go again because of the changes, the economic and political changes that came in in April. So the study is not finished. It will ultimately, uh, we think, become an um, image of book. So we're actually getting a preview of these two trips last year, both last year, in Cuba. Uh, so this is Cuba as it more or less now is, a, a country which is, um, as Robin will say, up against very hard times. Robin, we're very grateful to you for coming. Thanks a lot. John, it's a great pleasure to be here. Um, good afternoon, everyone. Um, thanks for coming. I want this afternoon to be as much about uh, photojournalism as it is about uh, as it is about Cuba. I mean, I hope the pictures will um, go some way to tell you the story of, of Castro's Cuba. Um, but at the same time, the pictures might, in a more uh, general sense, um, serve as a kind of test of whether photojournalism uh, can still contribute uh, in a meaningful way to the, the broader journalistic endeavor of explaining man to man. Um, and I'm going to trust you to be as critical as you judge necessary about photojournalism and about the way I use the medium. I come. Uh, wearing a thick skin. Um, uh, the pictures I want to show you are a small part um, of a work in progress, as John has explained. Um, I hope to create a book that looks at uh, Cuba um, at the end of the 50 plus years um, of Castro's um, socialism. And it's a work in progress also, as John mentioned, because uh, the Cuba Communist Party met for the first time for 14 years uh, in April of this year and promised some pretty major changes to the economy and to the social workings of the country. I have to say, I think whether they managed to, to put those into operation frankly looks a little bit iffy. But there were some major changes made, so I need to go back and update the work that I've, that I've done. Um, and I start by very introduction that this seminar is as much about photojournalism as it is about Cuba, and I'm going to throw out some questions um, uh, during the afternoon, in which I'd like to take a very quick vote, which um, um, I think James or uh, might, might help me with. Um, I'm not going to give you much time to think, because there isn't much time in these seminars, so it's a kind of just a gut. Uh, reaction to, to these questions. Um, and I might then come back to one right at the end. We'll see how we've progressed. Um, in fact, I'll start with one uh, straight away, I think. So will photography always be a lesser medium than paint? I wonder whether you agree or disagree. As I say, I'm not going to give you long to think. This is kind of gut reaction. Will photography always be a lesser medium than paint? A lesser medium. So very quickly, those who agree photography will always be a lesser medium than paint, please show your hands. <laughs> this is paint, not print. Paint. 
paint. <laughs> so one dissenter. Unless the medium for what? Well, no, that would make it too easy. I, I, want, I want you to, I want you to let your your minds okay, explore this idea. <laughs> so, so so far, it's just one dissenter. No, no, no two. Sorry, two. To say that we disagree that. No, I'm asking first those who agree with this. Okay. <laughs> and those who disagree with the statement, please, and picture that. Well, that's already to start with. That's right. <laughs> You're in the right okay. place. <laughs> we just, we just okay, so, so, so on we go. Um, okay. Uh, James, some months ago, uh, wondered how a photojournalist went about things as opposed to a journalist. And I suspect to start with this in a very, very similar way. Um, and here are my original, my very original notes. Um, they're the original notes because last time I was here, uh, John accused me of faking pictures. Nothing faked about this. This, this, is, this is the rubbish that I, this is the rubbish that I jotted down to start with. But then, then the photojournalist has to go about things slightly differently. And I tend to break things down into two sets of pictures. Those that I can seek out that I have a kind of idea for in my mind's eye. And then a second section at the bottom there, <laughs> illustrations that I'm going to look out for. And you can see those that I need to look out for, such as the relationship with Venezuela, well, I have no idea how that might come up, how I might illustrate that before I set out. The influence of US relationship past and present, I don't know how I might illustrate that. I don't know how I might illustrate the science of the Soviet influence, or the workings of the black market, or indeed wealthy Cubans. So I kind of put those ideas, uh, and I keep them buzzing around in the back of my mind, hoping that they're going to connect with my eye when I come across something suitable. And I do that every time I go out on a story. I make, I make a couple of lists. The one list that I'll, I'll look for and the second list that I hope I might find illustrations for. Okay. Well, there's a third group, I suppose, because uh, in all honesty, I would, if I see a strong image, I'm going to shoot it and then just hope it fits into the story somewhere. But, you know, as a photojournalist, I can't, I have to admit, I can't resist a strong image, so I'm going to shoot that anyway. And that reminds me that when, when I was starting, um, a picture editor in London um, said to me, took me aside and said, um, I want to tell you what makes a really good photojournalist. He said, it's three things. A really good photojournalist has to think, see, and feel all at the same time. I don't think I've ever been able to do that, so I failed his test, but it's something I've kept in, in mind and understand that that's what photojournalism is about. It's all those three things that have to come together at the same time. So you scribes, you, you, you guys get it easy, I tell you, because <laughs> you, might, you might have to think, you might have to feel a bit, but the seeing and the feeling and the thinking all at the same time that's what we guys have to do. Also, you said. Well, the 
best way perhaps to illustrate this is to, to have a look at some, some pictures. I, I would just say straight away, no, there isn't one, is there? It's a shame. Are these not, no, coming up very well. I'm sorry about... You pull that door. Yeah, uh, yeah something worse. Yes. Oh, that's better. Yeah, exactly. Can you see? Yeah. Can you see? Yeah. Sorry. Move, move across. Move to the other side. Any doubters, you can come and have a look at the, the screen afterwards, and I'll run through them again. Um, I just need to say straight away that um, reliable statistics on Cuba are extremely hard uh, to come by. Um, the variation from one source to another has uh, proved considerable. And I also tended to be a bit suspicious of the way US agencies presented their figures, their statistics on Cuba. For, for obvious reasons. So there's a combination here. Uh, the sources I've used are the United Nations, the World Health Organization, the World Bank, as well as the US State Department and the CIA. So um, sugar, uh, which is at the top of my must-find list, if you remember. Um, not too difficult to find plantations. Um, it was difficult to find a figure in the landscape, and it, it was an hour and a half before this guy um, conveniently rode past exactly where I wanted him. And I suppose an hour and a half is about the time that I would sit out um, a situation if I wanted some foreground, if I wanted some life in the picture. Um, and on top of that, um, there was a lot of broken machinery to find. Would you, now this, could you just tell us why sugar was top of your list? So why sugar? Yeah, certainly. Sorry, sugar, sugar became top of the list because Cuba used to survive on sugar. Uh, it was at well, one time, as I'm going to tell you, the world's number one producer. Um, at the end, uh, even at the end of the Cold War, when uh, the Berlin Wall came down. Um, the Soviets were buying so much sugar that they had enough to give away to the African states that they were supporting. So um, Cuba had an enormous market for its sugar. Enormous market. Its number one export earner. So that's why I started with sugar. Um, however, um, I had already been alerted to the fact that um, having been uh, its number one export, it now uh, represents just 5% of all Cuba's export earnings. So they have allowed, as it was very easy to find, the, the machinery um, to bring all their agricultural goods together in a state of most appalling uh, disrepair. So these, those seem to be two, two good illustrations to, to, to start off, um, as did um, these rotting engines, these trains used to pull the sugar cane uh, to start with and then the refined sugar, they would take refined sugar back. I'm afraid they too are in a dreadful state of disrepair. Uh, in fact, the agricultural sector as a whole is now uh, blighted by the lack of serviceable uh, machinery. Um, as the shortage of foreign currency inhibits the imports of parts, let alone any new uh, machinery. 
equipment. And you see these old-fashioned uh, and hugely inefficient uh, farming methods are, are very much in evidence. Cuba now extraordinarily, for a fertile land, uh, imports well over 70% of its food. And much of that surprise, surprise, comes from the United States. Um, when they released, uh, when they um, lessened the, uh, uh, their uh, trade embargo and included food under uh, humane uh, humanitarian imports. So food joined the uh, medicines. So the United States is now um, is virtually in an army, I suppose, feeding, feeding Cuba. Um, however, uh, the Cuban uh, cigar has retained its allure and remains an important export owner. Um, farmers have to sell 90% of their product, uh, tobacco production to the state at a fixed price, of course, uh, and they can sell uh, privately. Um, the cigars are still handmade in generally pretty poor um, working conditions. Uh, for the countrywide average wage of the equivalent now of £12.50 a month. £12.50 a month is the average uh, Cuban wage. Uh, photography in the cigar factories is not permitted. Um, so I had to slip in through a, a back door, a small back door, and work very fast. But, as I always would, I took care uh, to be sure that the subjects of the photographs um, didn't uh, object. Now, for a country that smokes very heavily, as Cuba does, um, and doesn't eat terribly well, its health is surprisingly good. Um, for a start, uh, infant mortality at around five and a thousand uh, is better even than in the United States. And it's twice as good, actually, as it, as it is currently in Russia. Um, and a Cuban's life expectancy of around 76 is only very marginally below our own. Um, their medical schools turn out um, thousands of doctors every year, providing six doctors for every thousand head of population. It's one of the highest doctor-patient ratios in the world. And at the same time, they train doctors from all over Latin America. Um, doctors for oil is part of the trade deal uh, with Venezuela. Um, you won't be surprised to hear that I could not get uh, permission to enter any hospitals, uh, any medical schools. Um, uh, goodness knows why. It's, it's one of the things that Cuba is, is rather proud of. Um, so this was a, a, a lucky chance. Um, I happened upon graduation day. These are um, the graduates floating over their degrees. Um, it's rather nice too. At the end of the day, every new doctor gets a spanking new white coat and both male and female get a nice little bouquet um, to celebrate their, it's rather nice I thought. Um, but not being uh, allowed into uh, hospitals or certainly not into any maternity uh, units, the way I had to, to try and illustrate this um, uh, very good infant mortality rate, uh, the nearest I could get were these um, creches, government-run creches, 
um, where photography is also not allowed, but where a few pens and notebooks for the children seem to smooth the way. Um, but thank goodness you can at least wander the streets um, unencumbered. And uh, I was surprised, first of all, to come across Che Guevara instead of um, Castro. In fact, Castro became very hard to find. Che um, was everywhere. Um, previously on the side of the infamous Ministry um, of the Interior. Um, I beg your pardon, I want to go back to the Ministry of the Interior. So that's the Ministry of the Interior building. You might, you might notice as we pass that the, um, the roads are chock-a-block full of traffic uh, in, in what is probably the busiest area of um, Cuba. You'll learn in a minute the number of cars there are in Cuba. It's really quite extraordinary. So this is right in the middle of a, of a working day. Um, so Shea is everywhere else. Even here, this is uh, the anteroom of a local government office uh, out in the sticks. And you can see Shea there, and you can see Castro relegated to a very small... I'm sorry, this is such a disappointing... Can you see... This, this is Castro here, relegated to a very tiny print on the, on the notice board. Um, I first came across Castro himself, um, in a homestay, um, and my hostess uh, put this mask on. Um, I, th I, th I wanted one and said, where, where, where can I find one of these? Um, you must be nuts, she said. If I were found with one of these, I'd be straight down to the police station. So don't think that you can get them here. These are brought in by my relatives from Madrid. So, you know, there is, there's no press freedom, no poking fun at the leadership whatsoever. I have to be very, very careful. I only twice came across um, Castro after that. And the second time was in the chess club in Camaway. Chess um, being something of a... Um, a national sport. Incidentally, the, um, I, I was asking the woman in, in the homestay, um, when she'd taken off her rather suffocating mask, whether she thought um, Castro had done any good for her country. And before she could answer, um, her father jumped in and said, I'll tell you. He said, he did an enormous amount of good to start with. The trouble now is, he said, that we're leaving the rest of the world behind. He couldn't bring himself to say Castro, both of them, either or both brothers, should step down, but, but couched it very carefully in, I think, the rest of the world is leaving us behind. And that was a comment I heard time and time and time again, with very few people being honest enough to say, they kind of let us down now, it's time for them to go. They've done good things, but maybe we're being left behind. Um, 
we'll go back for a moment to those um, homestays they're called casas particulares in, in, in Cuba and Spanish um, they're interesting because they're one of the few private enterprise uh, operations that are legal um, householders uh, who could until recently rent out a maximum of two rooms will now under very recent legislation be able to rent out an entire house um, you can run a small private restaurant too um, but your covers are reduced to just 12. And at April's Congress, Raul Castro even gave these private enterprises um, permission to hire staff. And that's, that's really rather significant because um, the very concept of employer and employee had been, of course, discouraged since the very early days um, of the revolution. Um, Hairdressers um, will be allowed to um, apply their trade now privately. Um, so will uh, beauty parlours. And uh, contrary to, to, to what I, seems to me to be common belief, um, I never find people reluctant to be photographed. I think only twice in, in 30 years have I ever found people reluctant to have a camera stuck in front of their faces? Normally, they're flattered. They're flattered that you should be taking an interest in them. As indeed were these. Do you mean in Cuba or in anywhere? Anywhere. Anywhere. Even in Oxford. <laughs> I mean, I think you have, you have to do it carefully, but on the whole, this idea that people don't like being photographed, I have found entirely untrue. Um, what I could in the old days give them a little um, Polaroid, I would do. Now it's even better because I can show them their pictures on the back of the camera and they're tickled pink. 99 times out of 100, so it makes it easy. Um, and extraordinarily, uh, even clowns um, are, are one of the 178 categories of jobs now which will not uh, have to be under state control. So if you want to be a private clown, you can now be a private clown. But it does seem to me that um, uh, th th these, these kind of generous sounding uh, concessions to private enterprise are not actually going to do very much to the economy as a whole. Um, the number of people working as clowns and barbers and so on ain't going to upset the avocado very much. Um, in fact, a, a recently leaked uh, diplomatic cable, a, a US cable, suggested that Cuba would be insolvent within two years from now. However, was that the US State Department? Uh, it was, it was a WikiLeaks cable, but it was the US State Department, and of course, we always have um, you know, doubts about the veracity or the way they want to present the figures, and that was before. Um, a Spanish company found considerable deposits of oil off the north coast of Cuba very, very recently. That, that might change everything. Um, up to now, about 85% uh, of the workforce uh, in a population of just over 11 million um, has been employed by the state. Um, Castro, uh, at the April Congress, that's Raul, the younger brother, placed to reduce at, uh, the workforce by 500,000. So that's 500,000 off the state workforce. 
and he was banking, and he is banking rather, on these new privatized industries taking up the slack. Um, one, of, one of the additional concessions is that Cubans are going to be able to buy foreign cars. This is a, a Chinese Geely, um, which I had the <laughs> doubtful pleasure of driving for three weeks around the island, um, which the police have bought and which uh, um, rental companies have, have, have bought. Um, and although there's going to be um, a fair bit more money around, um, there certainly isn't going to be any money to look after the crumbling uh, buildings. Buildings like these are um, collapsing um, as we speak. Um, I'm really so sorry about this uh, lack of clarity. I, I thought we had a blind here. Um, but if you want to come and look through the pictures afterwards, please do. Um, and awful Soviet-built blocks like these don't offer anything much better either. Um, and they're grim, uh, entirely grim. And where, uh, and there very often isn't any, any running water either. Um, and where there is, uh, or has been some restoration done, it's been done by heritage funds um, from abroad. So there's, there's no money to look after what is really some very, very grand colonial architecture. And talking of buildings, up until now, and even now I'm not quite sure how it's going to work, up until now you could not buy or sell a house in Cuba. What you could do is you could swap your homes. You could even swap a big home for two little cottages. But you kind of did that in this rather underhand way by gathering on a Saturday morning with little notes scribbled on a bit of cardboard advertising either what you had that you wanted to get rid of or what you were looking for. The police turn a blind eye to this. No money, no money is supposed to change hands. But from what I could see, the black and grey economies work pretty damn well in Cuba, so I'm quite sure plenty of money changes hands. But you start off by, come along, by coming along and advertising what you have for sale or, or what you want. That's the only way to buy and sell a house. With this restriction being lifted, I can't frankly see, you know, there are no mortgage facilities in place, so quite how people are going to go around suddenly buying houses. I, I, I don't know. Old people um, don't do much better than their buildings. The, uh, the current state pension stands at the equivalent of £4.70 a month. However, pensioners seem likely to retain their monthly ration from the state. Um, this is a highly subsidized monthly allowance um, of essential foods and personal hygiene goods enjoyed by the population as a whole, but that's on the way out. Um, Raul Castro has already taken away cigarettes 
from the Russian. He took away toothpaste. Um, he took away one of the bars of soap. You've got a bar of soap to wash yourself and a bar of soap to wash your clothes. Um, the state coffers are in such a, a ghastly state. Uh, that wasn't a very good use of the word state twice. The state coffers are in an appalling position and um, there simply isn't the money to sustain this um, ration although he's promising that pensioners will retain it. Um, it's been everyone's right since the imposition um, of the American trade embargo. The, uh, the shots that you'll find, or more than likely will not find the state Russian, uh, are the most depressing places. One loaf of bread was left in this government bread shop and it was two o'clock in the afternoon over It's markets, however, where farmers can sell the produce in excess of what they have to sell to the state that provide an alternative for those um, who can afford it. Um, and then some people so desperate, will even try and sell on small quantities of vegetables and fruit um, on their doorsteps. But it's a poor diet, and obesity is going to very soon be a problem for all those doctors. Um, it's more prevalent in women than it is in men, but it's going to be a huge problem. By the way, you'll see that um, by depersonalizing uh, in this picture, I hope, I've, I've tried to put the emphasis on the obesity. Um, here, you know, it might be slightly com confusing. You're more interested in the people. So um, if I were to choose one picture to illustrate obesity, I would probably, within a set of pictures of Cuba, um, choose, choose that one. We're going to take a quick break uh, from Cuba, and I'm going to ask you another question. Photojournalists are reliable eyewitnesses to history. It's a very quick gut reaction that I wanted. So those who agree that photojournalists are reliable eyewitnesses to history, please show a hand. James, do you mean that eight? One, two, one, two, three. Oh, sorry. Oh, is your hand no. I mean, Is your hand up? Yes. So one, two, three. It's going to be about four, five. Okay. And those who disagree? What? Ah, right. Well, move on quickly, I think. And back, 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 back. You did ask us where we were back, basing, back. basing our votes on what we'd already seen. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> So unreliable eyewitnesses to it. We will talk about that later, perhaps. No extensions. What? No extensions. <laughs> no extensions. <laughs> Keep going, Robin. We have not got that much time here. Uh, we've got till what? Three thirty. Yeah. Um, okay. So back to, back to Cuba. 
and the arts were another um, of my must finds because uh, Castro has supported the arts and their ballet companies as you know are, are world renowned um, this is the company in Camaway that's the second that's the city in the middle the third largest city in the middle of the country um, could I get permission to, to photograph the ballet? Absolutely not. No. Um, but wasn't that one of your, isn't one of your stuff? Oh yes, but no, we, we, we don't allow people to, to photograph the ballet, thank you very much. Um, so here, here's the picture of the, of the, the ballet. Um, you were there officially as a journalist, but it was unclear what you could photograph. Uh, since you're asking very quickly, yeah. I was there um, as the potential author of a book. And this created huge problems for the authorities because they'd never had anyone there who was shooting pictures specifically for a book. Were the pictures to go into a newspaper or a magazine, that would have been easy. Was I writing a book? That would have been easy because they know about people who write books, but they had absolutely, and um, I spent hours at the ministry, and they could not find anyone to help me because they couldn't understand what I was doing or wouldn't do it. So it's really it's just a question of, of you know hanging around as one does as a photojournalist. I think you call it loitering with intent. Um, but it's worth clarifying, if you were presenting yourself as a photojournalist working for a newspaper, you probably would have got permission to do a lot of these things. Because um, in my experience, photojournalists, or at least journalists, can often travel with a, uh, a photographer and don't have anything like the sort of problems that you obviously had. Is that a fair you, you mean journalists can travel, yeah. travel with a photographer? Yeah. Yes. I'm sure that's true. I'm sure that's true. So it isn't a blanket ban that the Cuban authorities don't want anybody to see all these things. It's your specific situation. I think it was my specific situation there to take photographs for a book, which didn't fall into, in a, you can imagine, a highly controlled, centralised country that, that does things you know, by the box and by the tick. Um, no one had been there specifically just to take pictures for a book from Europe. Yeah, okay. Big problem. Modern dance in in uh, very vibrant, vibrant modern dance um, uh, school uh, in Havana. Dance becomes uh, rather freer at uh, festival time. This is a festival in uh, Santiago, <coughs> the far uh, east of the island, um, where they dance non-stop through the night for three nights um, running. Um, music everywhere even though it does occasionally come in slightly unusual ways. Everyone thinks they're an artist. I thought this piece of street art was, was particularly ironic, pertinent, given the state of um, industry in Cuba. I imagine that was easy enough to pick up a few taps and nuts and bolts um, and put it together again. Um, but there are artists who do very good work and who sell their work well. This is a chap called Joel Hover. He's uh, in um, he is in the east of the country in a small village, which we'll come back to in a moment. <coughs> come back to me in a moment. The church. Um, 
you remember on my list there was the relationship between the church and the state. Um, the faithful were given a very hard time at the start of the revolution. They were barred from membership of the party. You can imagine what, what that led to. And over time, most of the priests fled as well. But the Pope's visit in 1998 was a turning point in church-state relations. And today, um, God and communism seem to, to get on pretty well side by side. And once again, I'm really sorry that you, you can't see these pictures properly. But on the right is a picture of Shea. And you can see the picture on the left. Um, you can't. Then do, do come after. Take it for, for granted from me. Come and have a look at the picture afterwards. This is one of those pictures, uh, the subject of which I put uh, in the back of my mind to buzz around. I, I needed a picture that said communism and the church uh, working more happily together. Were you allowed to photo? Uh, sorry? Were you allowed to photo or still is not allowed? Oh no, no, this was in a private this, this is in a private house. And uh, in private houses people were delighted for me to go in. So it's just kind of official as as so often is the case that gets in the way. But particularly so in, in Cuba. So there's church and state uh, very happily uh, together. Communicants uh, in, uh, in Santiago and beautiful stained glass, uh, well-preserved and recently renovated stained glass in Havana. Um, however, pure Catholicism has to a certain extent been tainted by Santeria. That's a set of beliefs brought to the Caribbean by African slaves, has its foundation in the Yoruba beliefs uh, in Nigeria. Um, new Converts must wear white. Head to toe. The priests, they're called Babalao, uh, which literally translates as, and this is interesting, father who knows the secret. So the Babalao, frankly, looked to me like a, a sort of halfway house between a counsellor and a witch doctor. I mean, I can't, I can't put it in any clearer than that. It seemed the most extraordinary mumbo-jumbo. Um, but while I was with this Babalao, there were large numbers of students came to see him. The majority were female, and he explained afterwards that the majority of them had problems with their love lives. So it was a kind of, it was a counselling kind of, I'm not sure that it was, um, and to say that it's now part of Catholicism I think is a, is a frankly a huge exaggeration. Okay, so uh, Cubans are free to worship. They're not free in many other areas. Um, there's no freedom of the press whatsoever. There are two main uh, national dailies. This is one of them. It's named after the motor yacht that Shea and Castro sailed from Mexico to the north coast of Castro, to uh, north coast of Cuba, to begin their revolutionary works. What's the name? Uh, Grand oh, sorry, Grandma. Sorry, is it not? I beg your pardon. Sorry. Sorry, you can't. Uh, grandma. G-R-A-N-M-A. It's the name of the yacht. Um, uh, smallish motor yacht, which had over 80 people on it. Very lucky to get as far as Cuba from, from Mexico in the first place. Um, and, of course, his first efforts, as you know, failed. Um, so Grandma is one of the... It's, it's just a, it's a communist propaganda sheet. Nothing more, no less. Um, 
not very wide uh, use of the internet, I'm afraid. Uh, in fact, the whole digital revolution it hasn't really uh, come to touch Cuba yet, um, although the Venezuelans have just recently laid a cable which should make internet uh, access easier. And I think now that um, uh, Sanchez, Yuani, am I right? I think she can now be read. She's a, she's a Cuban blogger. Uh, and I, I think she can now be read at home, which is a, a huge uh, advance. There are some yeah, quite prominent bloggers in Cuba. There are. Change the media scene mm -hmm. and the international. Uh, Change a lot. Maybe we can come to that at the end. They absolutely have. And, and their blogs are now becoming available at home. But until now, they haven't been. And that's been, you know, so it's, it's been very, very heavily controlled. Um, the uh, <clears throat> the dissidents uh, uh, arrested, the 75 dissidents arrested in 2003 um, have all now uh, been released. However, there are still political prisoners and it's still a practice for the wives, friends of these uh, men to gather the same place every uh, Sunday to demand um, their release. They're all men. Sorry? They're all men. Mm -hmm. and it's time for one uh, one last question I've got a ghastly feeling what the answer is going to be pictures in newspapers and magazines in print and on help readers to understand the story so those pictures are illustrating two minutes to think about it two minutes <laughs> two minutes Seconds. two minutes are up so those, those who agree, agree Help readers understand. Ah, oh, journalists. <laughs> Does anybody disagree? Thank you very much. Well, that's that's well, that's interesting. Okay, on we go. On we go. Um, the relationship between Cuba's relationship with the United States, with Venezuela, with the Soviet Union, all proved to be very difficult to photograph. Um, and I think I've, I admit I failed so far with with Venezuela. Um, I did think about an oil ship um, disgorging its oil in port, but then if you think, well no, one of the things that, that a photographer has to think about is how do you define that as a Venezuelan ship? Easy, you might say, the flag. What do you need for a flag to fly? Wind. Is the flag going to be flying in the right part of the boat to see that it's discordial? There are so many things that we have to, you know, think, see, feel at the same time. Um, that I kind of dismiss that. Um, but it, it, it would have been the obvious one because oil is what's keeping, oh, sorry, Venezuelan oil is what's keeping Cuban going at the moment. And without it, it would, it would collapse. It would collapse. Um, but I, so far I've failed, I'm afraid, to illustrate the Venezuelan connection. The American connection, the, the, to illustrate the trade embargo, equally difficult, to, to, to find one image that wraps up trade embargo. To illustrate the former influence, well, much easier, because all these wonderful cars um, around which one can write very short captions to say um, how you know, this wonderful capitalist rotten state was being run when the Americans were um, helping to run it, or the, ma the American mafia was helping to run it. And conveniently, the other um, car 
you see in, in uh, Cuba is a Russian car. So you only see larders, um, rusting, miserable little larders, and these wonderful American cars. That's all that's left, apart from these very, very few imports. And these larders are giving up the ghost, although I have to say that um, the old American cars seem to be giving up the ghost as well. Um, there's very, very little public transport. Um, hardly any intercity public transport at all. Uh, this family had to wait for a friendly truck driver to, to stop to take their father to hospital. This road is the one motorway which runs east-west. It's built by the Russians, again, uh, who failed to finish it. And so it's not finished. And quite surprisingly, I suppose, even having been in Cuba for a while, it finishes in a field. And unless you've really got your eyes about you and take a right turn before you get to the field, you just end up in a field. And you wonder, what, where's this motorway? It is the most extraordinary thing. There are no, there are no uh, signposts anywhere, as I think uh, James will remember, because he's, he's spent some time in Cuba. Um, the city buses are, are not buses as we, as we know them, and they're desperately, desperately um, overcrowded. And so the city's mass transport systems are, are quite literally all about horsepower. There is, of course, we've seen a, the, the poorer side, the more wretched side of Cuba, but in any socialist e economy, uh, there's always a moneyed class, and there is certainly a moneyed class in Cuba. Who are they? The money class. The people who have worked. Who was that? Who am I talking to? The, the people who have worked the black. In my, from what I can bring, the people who have worked the, the black and grey economies better mm -hmm. than the others. And, and they can show it openly that they have money and they have all this luxury. No, they don't. That, that's a good point. They don't show it openly. This is a public swimming pool to which some of the money people go uh, in, in the in the wealthy district of Havana, where all the embassies and so on are. But curiously, no, you don't see, you don't see money um, flouted. You don't. No. Um, but but, it's, but it, here it is. It's there to see with, with gold chains and, and, and so on. And uh, when it comes to a, a girl's 15th birthday, there seems to be money everywhere. It's quite extraordinary. 15-year-old um, girls are they're celebrated at their 15th birthday. Um, the custom is to dress them up into all sorts of extraordinary, glamorous, extravagant costumes, one after the other for the same photographer. Just extraordinary. And then they get a, um, a ride around town um, with their friends. It's 10 to 3. I wonder... Um, you know, I wonder uh, what life is going to be like for this 15-year-old um, in 10 years. In 10 years' time, it's going to be a tough ride, I reckon. And um, I think uh, because it's time to march, I'm going to leave it there in case you have any things you'd like to discuss. So, thank you for listening so far.